Welcome to the TriCatch Podcast. I'm Stacey Kozacek, a business analyst here at Farm Credit Services of America. In today's episode, we will be talking about everyone's favorite subject, data. Now, before you end this episode right here, we actually do have some interesting areas to cover around enterprise data. Our guests today are Andrew and Mike from our enterprise data management team. Guys, give a quick introduction. Yeah, sure. Uh, This is Andrew Stewartson. I'm on our data management and our risk management team. And my role here in the organization is to help the business understand their needs as it relates to data. As we start to really pursue our evolution with data, my role is to really help them understand what those needs are and then ultimately get those into requirements for more technical teams. Uh, My name is Mike Meyer, and I'm a data engineer for the data management team. So I work with Andrew on implementing a lot of the different capabilities as the business needs those, and also some things in the future with a future data platform. Awesome. Thank you guys for being here. Okay, so to make sure we are all talking the same language, let's start with the basics. What exactly is enterprise data here at Farm Credit? Traditionally, what we see with enterprise data, it's been your core data domains, things like customer, product, um, organizational data. But as we've seen over the last five to 10 years, it's really evolved into anything that we use as an organization to make decisions. So things that we use in the BI space, it's analytics on log files that we get from websites or from you know other generated systems. So it's really grown quite a bit. And of course, that's created a lot of opportunity for us. And of course, it's probably created a lot of chaos too for most organizations. Yeah. So I think what's interesting about it is starting to take a look at how data outside of the applications itself or how it travels around the organization. So once you start seeing just all the places where it goes and how it's used, it becomes that enterprise asset that everybody's looking to be able to get their hands on. Right. So we've got data all over the place, all kinds of different types. You've got loan insurance, real estate, maybe we're a financial organization, so all kinds of data. And so the goal here is to bring it all together and make it usable and consumable to the different parties. Yeah. I mean, you think about how we use data. We use it certainly for transactional purposes. I mean, that's really the core operations of your business, but we also use it in, you know, business intelligence Mm -hmm. and we start to do more with advanced analytics. And, you know, hopefully here in the near future, we really start to consider more modern machine learning and hopefully some AI opportunities as well. But it's everywhere. And so you have to be able to harness it and control it. So it's very exciting, but at the same time, it can be very scary if you aren't able to cautiously and responsibly manage it. Okay. So without giving away any of our competitive advantages, could you guys talk a little bit about what our strategy is around enterprise data today? Well, Mike's our competitive advantage. And he's here on the say. he's here right now. And so he's here right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I think always comes to mind is when we first started this endeavor is really trying to figure out how do we spread data literacy throughout the organization. And one of our first tasks was really to see trying to get everybody on that kind of same playing field. So one of our ways of approaching that has been doing real well as our our data catalog. And so that's a place where we can share information about our data and let everybody participate because it's a crowdsourcing thing. It's not one person. It's not one team doing that. So I think that definitely starts off the journey for that. Yeah. And when we think about data management and what we're trying to do, there's some very fundamental capabilities that we must have. And one thing I think it's important to note is that there's a difference between a capability and then a solution. So for example, data curation 
happens to be one tool, which is a data catalog, but you start getting into data replication, data integration, you might use two or three different technologies to make that capability available and online. So we really had to understand what our data life cycle is. So everything from when we ingest data and when we say data ingestion, yes, that's absolutely receiving third-party files and any sensor-type data that we would get from anything outside of our four walls, so to speak. But it's also curating information that users are inputting mm-hmm. directly into an application. And so all of that is ingestion. So it's not just one tool for one capability. There's many times where we have to think of how many different components do we need to assemble to make this capability real. And I think that is most easily illustrated when you start looking at analytics platforms. So you start getting into those advanced analytics tools. There's not just one tool that you buy from Amazon or Microsoft or Oracle and say, here's your analytics platform. It's carefully selecting which tools make sense to make that analytic capability, for example. Yeah, and so it's all the pieces as they come together. And, you know, some of the things that we're doing from a strategic initiative perspective, we're starting to see those come into place. And it's like Andrew was saying, you know, as you're starting to do different migration projects or processes, you need to understand where that data travels from. You need to understand the quality of the data. So if you're migrating it to a new platform or things like that. And so we're really starting to see um, the benefits of being able to have some of these things in place. Okay, so that's a picture of what our current state is. Um, what does this look like in the future? So could you share some of the vision that we have coming up here for Farm Credit Services America? Yeah. So to me, I think a, a lot of the future depends on where we need to go from the business. It's one mm-hmm. thing to develop all these data capabilities because they're cool and they're fun to use. But if we don't really have business need and we don't have business cases to support them, then it doesn't make sense to invest time and effort and, of course, money into right. these So I alluded to it a little bit in a previous answer about wanting to get into more modern machine learning capabilities. And so I think that's where the future is. How that supports the customer, I don't exactly know, Mm -hmm. but I just know that things are trending that way. And I think even our customers in rural America want to have the ability to have self-service options with the way that we participate with them in their business. So like I said, without divulging too many trade secrets, Mm -hmm. I think that's really the projection that we're on. And what we're doing today in terms of these fundamental basic capabilities will support where we want to go with the more flashy, more exciting, and and more enticing type of capabilities and tools that we'll offer for internal users and teammates Mm -hmm. as well as our customers directly. Yeah, so I think if you look at it, everything that we're doing and trying to help implement, it really goes a long ways for the customer experience. So all the great applications and things we have today is how can we now use the underlying data that we've collected and and make it a better experience each time that we interact with them. I always get really curious when that kind of thing gets brought up because being an app dev, at least in my role, I feel like I'm pretty distant from the customer a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like we're we get stuck in our silos of building software, but that interaction with customers is kind of few and far between depending on your role. So knowing that the products that we're building, the services we're building, being able to see that bigger picture on how that actually affects them and our customers' ability to do business and be profitable customers. I know there's a very big focus for our company on being agriculture's most valuable partner. So to be able to provide this information to them and use our data for things like benchmarking and other ways that we can help our customer. 
it's really nice to know that there's this bigger vision beyond just that what I'm working on in my day to day. Yeah, and I think that's that's the key right there, right? It's it's being able to say that all the things that we're doing is to help establish their operations and help grow, but and it's also to help in every interaction that anybody might have with the customer. So it's a it's having all that data at hand, having that transparency, so that if person deals with the customer one day and somebody else has to answer a question it's just a nice fluid transaction right so it gets handed across yeah so something interesting that you hit on a little bit there stacy is how do we start to use data to enrich our existing applications so once again you might not be in direct touch with the customer but how do you make the applications that might be customer facing more responsive because you've been able to access information about that application to make it a better experience which then starts to lead into having more data-driven product decisions. Right. Obviously, as we start to really pursue a product management discipline um, across not just applications as a product, but of course our products and services as products and mm -hmm. services, how are we using data in balance with expert intuition, subject matter expertise, and sometimes just you know blatant hunch to then support the decisions that we're making? So you're going to see a lot more of that. And that's really where when you hear the phrase as buzzy or as cliche as it sounds being data driven, that mm -hmm. to me is really the underpinning of that is being able to truly use data, not to just exclusively make decisions and to exclusively drive your organization, but to support some of those expert understanding. You know, we have some people at this organization that have been here for decades. Right. And so you, you can't discount, you know, their intuition and, and their foresight, but how do we then use data to support or um, not the direction that they're trying to go or to learn something new and, and so on. Yeah, it's those long-term relationships that you have with customers and delving into that information even further and, and seeing how we can use that to better serve them. That's another just a wholly complete area that's just wide open, I think, too. Yeah. So for um, TriCatch, our target audience for this podcast is applications development. So we've touched on a little bit of what, how this could affect AppDev, but do you Maybe talk a little bit more about what this means for AppDev and business technology as well. Yeah, so from an application development perspective, I think there's just is so many more, there's going to be a lot of different opportunities on the way that we kind of approach data. Things that a lot of times that we probably do, but we don't realize we're doing it will actually become more formal, I, I guess you could say. Profiling data, really getting in and understanding the data that's inside of our day in, day, day out that we're working on our applications from like a a database developer, application developers really tuning in and understanding where the best data in the organization, how to understand that data, how to consume. So when we get to those days of machine learning and all that, that they have a great grasp of it and work with the folks and, and everybody's on the same playing field of understanding the value of that data. So there are so many different things and also all the new technologies and being able to expand that area too, I think is really going to be where the application developers and technical folks are, should be getting excited about. Yeah, that, that's spot on. I think, you, you know, what I would add to that is although we may not become completely and exclusively design driven, I think having an understanding that we should have data be designed before we start building things. And I think that will be a paradigm shift for us as an organization because yeah. we see a problem in the business and what do we do? We, we build an application to solve that problem. And that's served us very well. Mm -hmm. And not to discredit that at, at all, but how can we even enrich that overall life cycle for software development is by thinking about the data first and what business processes does that support? And then what customer journeys those processes support? 
what you touched on there was the product life cycle a little bit and the time to market. You have to be way ahead of things. It, we've been fortunate enough to be way in front of our competitors, but that margin between where we're at and where our competitors are at is getting closer and closer. And so for us to actually stay ahead of the game, we can't rely on just making these guesses and trying over and over again. We actually have to use data. And sure. experimentation is obviously still very important, but doing smart experiments that are based on data and not just somebody's hunch. And you need to think about that, why that gap between the competition has probably narrowed. It's because we have, in the advent of all this open source mm -hmm. technology, people are much more free to experiment because the barrier of entry from a cost perspective for those, you know, for those solutions and those applications is nothing other than just some time hacking it together, you know, so you can start to build some prototypes on your own. So for us, we have to really start thinking, you know, six steps beyond what it needs to be. And I think a lot of that begins with how do we need to design our data? And then how do we need to manage that? Because we are really good at building applications. So how do we then support all that with just really solid foundational data designs. Yeah, it's with the incredible architecture work that's been done here for all the applications over the years is now how do we start to use more of the analytics and, and feedback in and through into those and see where that'll lead us. I mean, we have a lot of great stuff today, but that's the exciting part. I think there's even yeah. further that we can take that. You know, data mining typically gets branded as like this analytic only activity where mm -hmm. you're going to go find the diamond in the rough and then you're going to create the next big product and you're going to disrupt the entire industry. It is that, but it is also our ability to mine our existing applications to see truly what trends are happening there and how can we just make our applications better? How can we even furthermore make our processes better because we can analyze information and trends and just user transaction behavior, you know? There's just in our organization, we have so many just wildly talented people and being able to explore this even more and all the various kinds of data that I think we have here, even, you know, some of the things like the geospatial, I think that's going to just all of these things are just so they'll all come together. And as they come together, it's it's going to be pretty exciting. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard about data privacy changes happening out of California and really across the world. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that might affect our organization? Sure. So I believe it was January 1st of 2020, California had a new state law that went into effect that basically gave any consumers of California-based companies or customers that lived in California that were customers of other organizations, mm -hmm. us included, some heightened privileges as it related to the rights of their own data. So this is probably just in following suit with what's going on in, in Europe with the GDPR. So, you know, for us, it's understanding that there's a lot of gray area in most law, and this is no different there. So how do we interpret it? And then how do we build a philosophy and approach to support it? And what we've attempted to do is balance what the law says as best we can with truly what's the right thing to do for our customer. Because at the end of all of it, and when you distill it down to its lowest form, it's really about making sure that we can support our consumers and protect them. I think we have, as somewhat of a fiduciary, we also have sort of personal responsibilities to support our customers and their information because it is really just an extension of them and we're caretakers for it. And I would add to that that over probably the next, this is just Andrew's projection, so mm -hmm. take that for what it is, over the next three to five years, we'll probably see something at the federal level. So what we've done now is absolutely setting ourselves up for that extension later. And really then it's just adopting it across 
you know, the 50 states and of course our territory as well. But the things that we're doing today are setting us up really well for that future state, whether that's three, five years or who knows how long the government takes to write these laws, but could be could be longer depending. So depending on when this episode actually comes out, there will have been a top story at some point in the past about data and it mentions data quality and control. And then there's also a mention of data lineage in it that I think is the at least the first time that I've heard that term used within this organization. Can you kind of talk about what that means for organization, what might be coming down the road here? Yes. One of the things about data lineages and, you know, most of us as developers or as data warehouse folks, we do a lot of research trying to find out where's the source of this data? Where did it travel before I actually was able to consume it? And as systems and databases change over time, you really need to be able to traverse that easily. Otherwise, it can take hours upon hours just to search for one element. So what we've been doing over the past year is really finding those more current software platforms out there that can help really go out and kind of be able to search your, you know, your organization and and look at those codes and look at those databases and and give you that picture of, of where things are going. So if you need to make a change, you can get that easy map and understand, oh, I have to touch it at these two points and I'm good to go. Just a huge time saver and also just a, a valuable tool for anybody trying to understand the movement of data within your organization. This would be really relevant for you, Stacy. I think, okay. in your role. All data lineage really is as a capability. It's a research capability. Data lineage doesn't do anything like analytically. It doesn't you know, enrich a data set that gives you new insights. It doesn't do any of that. But think about all the times in your role where you've had to research a data quality issue. Hey, Stacy, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Where else is it used? Where's it going? How's it transformed? Yeah. And you might be researching that because it's a data quality issue, or you might be preparing for a technical migration and you have to do an impact study to see what are all the things that need to be remapped. So, you know, at its most fundamental state, it's used for research, especially in a business analyst role. You're going to get questions a lot, especially when we start to get into this very vast network of integrated systems, understanding where is this used? Because typically it's not just used in one application. It doesn't just stay there permanently. So understanding how it really works through the entire ecosystem. So it's very beneficial in these roles and only if we're able to do it at a speed that provides value. There's a lot of tools out there that do it. You can do it on your own by hacking together some queries, but we want to be able to do this at scale with speed so that we can get answers back to those users or to those customers as quickly as possible. I'm sitting here nodding my head vigorously as you're saying that because yes, I've absolutely dealt with that dozens or more times in my role. I was on a project that brought together data from many different sources and that was fed to us through the BI teams. So we didn't have to do a lot of the sourcing, but there have been a lot of questions of where did this come from? Why is this information showing in this way, but you go to another system and it's showing this other way. So being able to have a a clear way to research and not have to go back to BI and say, okay, well, you guys go research this for me. I can potentially do some of that myself. And Mike's right. Traditionally, you see individuals in the BI world use it to traverse lineage backwards. Mm -hmm. But how do we start to become forward thinking so that as we're building applications and the sources, we're looking to see where things are going so that we can be more proactive and forthright in determining how data should really be structured. Because many times, and once again, this is 
not me pointing fingers or there's no blame here at all. It's just we build the thing we need to build because it we have to get it done and it's fit for that specific purpose. But how do we get the organization to think about all data is eventually going to be used in integrated systems and business intelligence warehouses, eventually into visualizations and reports that Mm -hmm. go out to either customers, internal users, senior leaders, you name it. And I think that's where we can really start to leverage these capabilities because we can do them with some pretty significant and sophisticated speed. Yep. And the deal is really being able to tie these together. So when trying to understand a piece of data, having the definition, having it curated in a catalog is that starting point. Being able then to traverse and understand where it came from just gives you the ability. So if a problem does turn up, as you had said, Andrew, with data quality, how can I track it back to the source? Because I want to fix it at the source. I don't want to fix it in five other places. I want to get it back at, at the source. And so they all really you know, play well into each other. And then all the way through consumption. So as you're building out data sets and people are consuming them in reports and that, understanding then what areas of that information are actually being consumed more than others. So we have some really good tracking tools that show us on that side too is how the organization is consuming information. I will say when you say data catalog, the area that I get excited about is, so I've had to build data dictionaries in the past and like Excel where I take all my different sources together and throw an Excel file together that has, here's the source the and what data comes within it and then having to piece that all together. And it's incredibly manual. And then it inevitably becomes outdated because those things are nearly impossible to maintain unless you are on top of them all the time. We just recently transitioned one of our products to another team and I referenced this data dictionary and I was like, well, it's at least somewhere to start, but it's also really outdated. So good luck. So having a place to go to, and maybe it's not the catalog, maybe I'm explaining this here, but having a place to go to that does this for me in a way where the data is accessible and understandable and the business can put their spin on what that data means to them as well, it's going to be a pretty big game changer when we all get there. Oh, absolutely. It's fun watching as we bring on new sources of information into or new data sources into the catalog and just start to see how it's all ties, you know, more together and then seeing what people have, their contributions that they're making on a daily and weekly basis. uh, Yeah, it's just going to be phenomenal being able to have that instead of walking the halls trying to find that one person that knows that information. And, you know, it's it's, it's Stacy. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, sometimes it was a running joke, but no, you had to, you know, especially as a new employee, I always remember it's like, well, who knows this? Well, well, Barry knows that. You got to right. track down Barry to find out how mm-hmm. to use that. Well, who's this Howie guy? He's got all these report definitions out in this one tool. Oh, Howie's no longer here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. We laugh at this, but it is incredibly true. And that's not just a just a BI thing. It's across systems that we are have all these silos of information, bus factor of you get your business owner leaves and all their knowledge about what the data means to the business is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible because even around the community and in different places that we talk to folks, I mean, it's every organization has a lot of the same, these same challenges. And, you know, that's the part that's cool about some of the things with a particular catalog we're using is it keeps track of those subject areas that people are participating in or adding content to. So then if they were to leave, then you usually bring up their, profile page and you can say, oh, I need to cover, you know, these three areas now that that Barry's gone. So well and data dictionaries too, I mean, they were 
when you look back on them now, sometimes it's like, those, were those even pragmatic to begin with? But the reality was they were probably part of requirements for that project mm -hmm. delivery. Yeah. And in the evolution of data curation and where we're trying to get to with more advanced analytic uses of data, the dictionary served a very fundamental purpose. We had to be able to understand, here's some technical details about this data. Here's the field name or the column name. Here's the data type. Here's the string length, right. you name it. Now it's, well, how do we use it in the business? We would be able to capture a very brief definition. And you'd be lucky if you could get someone to sit down with you for 15 minutes and give you some information. Right. And then additionally, you'd be even more lucky if they were someone that was a subject matter expert in that area, but you were able to complete that. So you had something to work from. So it was always a reference point. Now we're starting to see in the capabilities that are a bit more modern, they're leveraging, you know, some not extremely advanced, but some artificial intelligence to learn. And so as we get definitions in, how painful did it used to be to go define the same thing 40 times right. because it was in 40 different places. You had to physically go to 40 different places and apply a definition. How do we then define it once and let the application learn and then provide suggestions. So we're taking a lot of that tedious sort mm -hmm. of arduous effort off of your desk. You're defining it once and then you're socializing it in a place that can be collaborated with. It can be crowdsourced and extended beyond that. People can start linking other referential content to it. And now you start to really get a pure picture of truly what it is more so than a definition. But the data dictionary, in my opinion, served a very fundamental and foundational purpose in the whole sort of lifespan of data curation, if you want to call it that. I'm happy to move on from that, though. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. One thing that I've, I've come to realize over the last few years is that when we look at data consumers today versus where they were 10 years ago, they are so much closer to the data than they ever have been before. When you look at the spectrum of, of data consumers, and when I say that, I mean you can have technical users. Those are people that are building our systems, much yeah. like yourself. Not that you're not other types as well, but you're more of a technical user. All right? If you tell me that this field is this and the value should be X, I'll make sure that our systems can support that. Mm -hmm. You have operational users. These are teammates that are sitting at their desk and they're accessing and they're experiencing data through that application for that circumstance or that point in time when they're like, for example, when they're dealing with the customer, you have more analytic or advanced analytic users. These are people that are building model simulations and doing more business intelligence. And you have casual users. These are people that probably are just looking at a report or a dashboard. If the tile's green, then it's good. If it's red, then it's bad. And you have a three hour meeting to understand what's your, your course of action, but people are much closer to it than they've ever been. You know, just as an example, to share a, a personal story, my mom has been in HR for like 20 years and she's led HR teams and she's gone through formal HR training. And she, I think she even has a degree in HR. Well, she had changed companies and the title that she got was HR analyst. And they gave her, she said, she called it a squeakle password. And I was like, a what? <laughs> and she goes, a squeakle password. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I knew what it was. And so she sent it to me in an email. She's like, here's my SQL password. <laughs> and so they gave my mother direct access to this HR database to write queries. And she doesn't know anything about this, right? Gotcha. So it dawned on me so that when this happened like three years ago, like, wow, people are just getting so much closer to it. 
which means we have to be more considerate and cautious about how we manage it. We still want data to be free and open and we want it to be transparent, which is why we have things like lineage. Where does it come from? Where does it go? Where is it used? Catalogs. How is it used in the business? What does it mean? How should I use it? How should I not use it? Data quality tells us how good it is. 15, 20 years ago, you needed technical teams or people that were extremely hands-on with it to have those. And so we could get by with data dictionaries in Excel because the population of people that was using data was so small. Yeah. Now it's exorbitantly bigger. Yeah. And so now we have to have these more modern capabilities. Maybe why as an app dev team or why as a business user, this might be relevant because people are much more closer to it than they've ever been. But we also want to make sure that we don't have this command and control authoritarian system where we have to lock everybody out or make replicas or copies mm -hmm. of data that only you have access to because you need a sandbox to do some mock-ups. We want to make it free. We want to make it open. But there's responsible ways to do it. And I think what we've done over the past two years in our journey has really set us up for that. Thank you, Andrew and Mike, for sharing your thoughts with us today. I learned a few things and hopefully our audience did too. Thank you for listening and subscribe today to TriCatch wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Thank you.